Okay, much better. Um, yeah, what a what a privilege to to be here this morning. It's just amazing as I as I look around to see the many faces that I don't recognize. <laughs> Um, it's amazing to see how the Lord has added to, to the family here at Rooted. Um, it, it's, really, it's really a joy to also be in relationship with some of you um, as we continue to, to plant the church in, in Mamilodi. Um, I'm going to give a, an update later on um, in the sermon. But uh, right now, if we can just dive into the Word of God and... Uh, believe you're on a series, I have a word from God. Um, I have a word from God. I'm so glad that it's not something that I have to, to come up with. We can open the word of God <laughs> and we can see what the Lord is saying. Amen. So let's open our book, Bibles to the book of Philippians. Philippians chapter 1. Philippians chapter 1. <clears throat> Philippians chapter 1. from verse 12 to verses um, 18. Philippians 1 from verse 12 to verses 18. If you have it, please say amen. amen. Um, yeah, you, you don't have to be quiet. You can give some feedback. It's okay. <laughs> we welcome that. Um, now I want you to know, brethren, that my circumstances have turned out for the greater progress of the gospel, so that my imprisonment in the cause of Christ has become well known throughout the whole Praetorian Guard and to everyone else. Verse 14, and that most of the brethren trusting in the Lord because of my imprisonment have far more courage to speak the word of God without fear. Some, to be sure, are preaching Christ even from envy and strife but some also from goodwill, the latter do it out of love, knowing that I am appointed for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition rather than from pure motives, thinking to cause me distress in my imprisonment. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense and in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in this I rejoice. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you um, that Jesus Christ is the main subject. He is the main theme of our um, discussion. He's the main theme of our lives, the main theme, oh God, of, of the church. Thank you that we don't have to come up with something new, something innovative. We can just preach Christ, and we know that we are in safe hands. And so I pray now, even as we open up your word, so much in need of your grace, so much in need of um, your help, oh God, recognizing my own weakness and and um, asking, oh, Father, that you would just fill me with your spirit um, as I preach your word. Open our hearts that we'll all be challenged by these words and that we'll, we'll um, give our lives more to you, sacrifice more, love more, and, and, and give ourselves to, the, to your things more. Um, thank you, oh, God, for what you're doing here at Rooted. What a blessing it is to see and to hear some of the stories that are coming out of here. Thank you for owner. Um, who's um, shepherding this flock and thank you for his faithfulness and his love for Jesus and his love for the gospel and I pray that we'll all be edified for Father after um, learning from you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Um, so one of my favorite um, poets is a man by the name of Propaganda. 
Yeah, we have some fans as well. In one of his songs named Crimson Chord, he celebrates what I would call the, the crimson touch of God. He looks at a timeline of events in a person's life where, where from a distance, looked at individually, it seems like different disconnected events. Events which on their own and taking a snapshot would probably be unrelated. But zooming out, propaganda sees the crimson touch of God on those events. In these seemingly unrelated events, he shows how God is weaving out a beautiful story. Here are some of the words from the song, the chorus. The pain that guides us, he says. The strings that tie us. The coincidence that proves to us God's existence. Joy misplaced. Beautiful mistakes. The scarlet thread. A crimson cord. Wear your scars out loud. That's the fingerprints of the Lord. A crimson cord, baby, a crimson cord. Let me celebrate your crimson cord. And that's a beautiful, a crimson cord. No regrets, boy, a crimson cord. Evidence of God's love, a crimson cord. There's a saying which has become a cliche, but it's actually true, that God's ways are actually not our ways. I wish that we actually believed those words. I wish we actually believed those words. It's not true only of our lives, but it's true of God's greatest mission that he has ever undertaken. So you can have fun looking at the mission of God and what he has been doing in the past. From Genesis chapter 3, um, even locking the gospel in verse 15 and anticipating Christ, anticipating this seed, anticipating this person that is going to come and change everything. And as Revelation continues, you get to see this mission of God, even in, in Abraham and in, in the promises that God has made to him. The mission of God to reconcile humanity to himself and to get glory for his name through his son Jesus Christ and his death on the cross. God's mission is advancing year by year. It is advancing decade by decade. It is advancing century by century. It is advancing millennia by millennia. God is accomplishing his mission on earth. In other words, like one famous person said, we are winning. We are winning. Well, God is winning. He's winning in accomplishing his plan in spite of seemingly negative circumstances that would make it seem like he is on the losing side. The Apostle Paul is the testimony of that. He's a testimony of that. In writing this section to the Philippians, he's writing a ministry report. He's giving a report of how things are going for him whilst he's in prison. The Philippian church were one of the first churches that Paul planted in Europe. It's been about 10 years since he planted the church, and the saints at Philippi are curious and wondering how are things going with Paul. They heard that he's in prison for the gospel. So they sent one of their members by the name of Epaphroditus with a gift to give to the Apostle Paul. And so when Paul receives the gift, he is grateful and he feels loved by the Philippian church. This is what he says in Philippians chapter 4. But I have received everything in full and have an abundance. I am amply supplied. Having received from Epaphroditus what you have sent, a fragrant aroma, an acceptable sacrifice, well-pleasing to God, and my God will supply all your needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. And then he hands Epaphroditus the letter to the church so that it can be read out, so that he can let him know how he is doing. One of the first things he wants the Philippians to know 
is that the gospel is advancing. He wants the Philippians to know that the gospel is advancing. In other words, he wants them to know that God is winning. Now, this is interesting because although he talks about his circumstances, he does not interpret his prison circumstance from a snapshot point of view. Although Paul is updating them on his circumstance, he doesn't, know, he doesn't do what we normally do when we talk about how we're doing. And somebody asks you, man, how are things going in your life? How's it going? Normally would, would be like, I would respond by saying, I'm, I'm, I'm underpaid and overworked. The boss does not appreciate the work I'm putting in. I don't have enough money to start my business. People are discriminating against me. They, want, they won't give me a promotion at work. That, that's how we'll normally explain how we're doing. That's not how Paul views his circumstance. Now, he lets them know what is happening, that it's real, right? He lets them know that it's real, that he's in prison and it's uncomfortable, but he doesn't stop there. I was, um, last week we took our little one to the doctor. Um, he had measles, um, and so we had to take him to the doctor. And so when we arrived there at the doctor's office, I realized that I had to get some money, so I left my wife to go in uh, with the doctor while I, while I got the money. So when I came back to the doctor's office, the first thing that the doctor says to me is, your wife has a tongue problem. Like, what? Because I'm thinking that it's a physical tongue because you're a doctor. As in tongue, is something's wrong with the tongue. What do you mean? No, your wife has a tongue problem. Like, okay, let me hear. And then he says, he starts talking about how the wife has been confessing negatively about the sickness um, of the child. And then that's when I, I got to understand what he, what, what he means by that. What he means by that is my wife is not supposed to talk negative about the child. She was confessing that the child is not sick and, I mean, the child is sick and, 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 and all of that. And so that, that, that's not what Paul is doing with the circumstances. Like, Paul is in prison. It's real. He, he doesn't confess there and be like, I'm not in prison, I'm not in prison. I declare that I'm not in prison. no. <laughs> You, you're sick, you, you're sick, and he's in prison. It's real. But he does something different that we normally don't do. He's honest about the space that he's in, but he interprets it in an unexpected way. He basically says, I'm in prison, but the gospel is advancing. I'm in prison, but the gospel is advancing. That's confusing for us. Like, we would never think that anything good can come out of somebody being in prison. Paul says, I'm in chains, but the gospel is running free. He has an interesting way of looking at his trials. He makes a connection between his trials and the gospel of God. And as he looks at his trials, what, what God is doing, he concludes by observing that God is using his trials in order to further the gospel. In other words, God is winning. God is winning. The gospel is advancing. Three ways that the gospel is advancing. This is where we're going this morning. There's three ways that the gospel is advancing. This is the word I have. The gospel is advancing. Firstly, it's advancing in places where you never thought it would advance. Look at verse 12. Now I want you to know, brethren, that my circumstances have turned out for the greater progress of the gospel. I want you to know that these circumstances of me being in prison 
have turned out for the greater progress of the gospel, so that my imprisonment in the cause of Christ has become well known throughout the whole Praetorian God and to everyone else. Who would have thought that the gospel would advance when God's chief church planter is locked up in prison? From our point, this is a great obstacle for gospel ministry. If only it was to be in prison for preaching the gospel, you all will be depressed, like, oh no, what's going to happen to the work here? But the gospel is still advancing to the extent that the whole Praetorian God is hearing the gospel. The Praetorian God were high-ranking officers, very wealthy, influential people, composed of 10,000 hand-picked soldiers that were to guard the governor's residence. These soldiers were dispersed strategically throughout Rome to keep peace and to protect the emperor. It is said that they served about 12 to 16 years, and after serving, they were granted the highest honors afterwards. In fact, later they became so powerful that they not only protected the emperor, but they got to actually choose the emperor. They were the kingmakers. They would take eight-hour shifts in guarding the apostle Paul at the emperor's residence whilst he's awaiting his date of trial. So you can imagine Paul sitting there in prison, chained with a couple of soldiers, and these guards get to guard him in eight-hour shifts. You don't want to be chained to the apostle Paul. Like he's preaching the gospel constantly to them. I'm sure if somebody was chained to him, it's like, get me out. I don't, can you chain me to somebody else? Because Paul would constantly be preaching the gospel to them. To the extent that high-ranking officials, influential people in Rome, get an opportunity to hear the gospel. Something that would never have happened if Paul was not in prison. It was the wisdom of God to get Paul in prison so that high-ranking, powerful people in government can hear the gospel. The gospel is not only progressing in places we never thought it, it would, but it's progressing with people that you never thought God can use. Look, look, at, look, look, look at verse four, 14. He says, And that most of the brethren, trusting in the Lord because of my imprisonment, have far more courage to speak the word of God without fear. The boldness of the Apostle Paul to keep preaching the gospel in prison is not only advancing the gospel outside the church, but it's also impacting ministers inside the church. So much so that other brothers who were timid to preach the gospel now get to be more bold because they realize that the second worst thing after killing them that they can do to them to put them in prison is no longer enough to change the gospel because the gospel is still going out. You can imprison people, but you can't imprison the gospel. It is powerful, and it will spread throughout the ends of the earth. Even if people that are preaching are fearful, even if the people that are preaching are sinful, even if the preach, people that are preaching it are broken, God is pleased to use them to spread his perfect, incorruptible gospel. I mean, you could not have picked a more unqualified bunch of people to carry out this more important task. This is where the wisdom of God is contrary to the wisdom of the world. You see in movies, whenever there's a threat, you know, a survival to the earth, you have these um, aliens that come. And they always land in some obscure place in America, in a farm. Uh, like, why, why can't they land in Limpopo? Like, why? Why can't they land in Mamilod? I don't understand. It's always in America. But they land, and then this, you know, there's a panic. 
And then they have to assemble the best team of people to, to come and solve the problem. They assemble the best mathematician, the best physicist, you know, the best that NASA can offer around the world. The people that you would think God would choose to spread the message maybe would be orators and, uh, you know, the most eloquent people, you know, the best looking of the whole bunch, the, the best salesperson to, to, to make sure that this marketing program is spread throughout the world. But that's not God's strategy. That's not God's strategy. He doesn't look for those that are gifted the best in how the world defines best. He looks for those through whom he can get the most glory. He is pleased to house his golden message in jars of clay. He uses normal, broken, at times fearful men to preach his glorious gospel. He uses normal, everyday, no lights, camera, action events to get his gospel across to the world. Sometimes guys can look at church planters and, and people like me and think we live in this constant moments in the book of Acts where we just see powerful and wonderful things every day. If only they just stay with me for a week, they will see that that is not the case. It seems that God is pleased to use everyday, normal people, have bribes, watch soccer, spend time together. When we get an opportunity, we preach the gospel. And then God just, just, he just puts his crimson touch on those moments. And once in a while, you'll get an understanding like, oh, when I, when I met that person and we were sitting down, it was nothing to me. Oh, the Lord was, was doing something to that. I, I, didn't, I didn't realize that the Lord was working in that. He's the one that puts the puzzles together. God's wisdom is contrary to the world's. God's wisdom is contrary to the world. This is God's logic. There's a problem in the church. Preachers are fearful. They're timid. They need to preach the gospel. And the way God thinks about it, let me put one of my chief church planters in jail. Let me get him to jail. What's happening when he's in jail? Influential bodyguards. Influential people to the emperor get to hear the gospel. And they get converted. But secondly, the fearful guys get more courage now to preach the gospel. You see how God doesn't work the way we think he should work? That's how God solves a problem. Like we would never have dreamt of that. We would never have dreamt of, 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 of taking somebody to jail. We would think that's a negative thing, but God is using that circumstance in order to further his mission. Thirdly, not only is the gospel advancing in unusual places and unusual people, but it's also advancing in unusual ways. It's advancing in unusual ways. Look at verse 15 to 18. Some, to be sure, are preaching Christ from envy and strife, but some also from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am appointed for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaimed Christ out of selfish ambition rather than pure motives, thinking to cause me distress in my imprisonment. What then? What then, Paul is asking? Only that in every way, whether in pretense and in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in this I rejoice. So there were, there were people in Paul's day that were jealous of the Apostle Paul's ministry. These were not false teachers. Verse 15 says they are preaching Christ. They are preaching Christ. These were orthodox, reformed, evangelical preachers who had all kinds of motives for preaching the gospel. Apparently when Paul went to prison, they began to preach bad things about him and say things like, if he was truly an apostle, 
then he would not be in prison. If he was truly an apostle, or his mess- if, if truly his message was right, then he would not have been imprisoned. And so Paul hears that. hears those rumors and those uh, things that are happening around him as he's in prison, as Epaphroditus brings him the report. But he doesn't take it personal. He doesn't take it personal. He acknowledges that. He's aware that those kinds of preachers are there. In typical Pauline style, he basically says, I don't really care what they're saying about me or their motives. But what makes me to rejoice is the fact that at least they are preaching Christ. At least they are preaching Christ. It's very humbling to hear from the Apostle Paul. A different way he deals with those who are having evil motives against him. Paul doesn't write a book about them. He doesn't attack them on Facebook or the pulpit. He doesn't get caught up on what they're saying or defending himself. He's like, what positive thing can I focus on about them so that I don't lose my joy? And he's like, oh yeah, they're preaching Christ. I'll focus on that. They're preaching Christ. I'm going to let that be the focus while I'm here in prison. He says, the former proclaimed Christ out of selfish ambition rather than pure motives, thinking to cause me distress in imprisonment. He's thinking they're going to stress the Apostle Paul while he's in prison. But Paul refuses to give them a time. He refuses to entertain their motives. He's got a more important mission to focus on. And that is the mission of getting the gospel to the Gentiles. He's not going to be distracted by anybody in accomplishing that mission. So, four applications that I have for us, and then we'll close. Four applications that I have for us. Firstly, God uses ordinary events in our lives in order to accomplish something greater for His glory. God uses ordinary events in our lives in order to accomplish something greater for His glory. One of the greatest preachers that has ever lived by the name of Charles Haddon Spurgeon is called the Prince of Preachers. I don't know if you've heard his testimony. Uh, when he tells his testimony of how he got saved, he talks about um, the preacher. Apparently, there was a, it was a snowy day. It was snowing, and he needed a shelter. He needed a place to, come, to go and, and, and hide in. And so as he's walking, he notices this small Methodist church uh, in, in, in the UK. And he gets in the church. And the preacher is preaching from the text, Isaiah 45, verse 22. Apparently, it was a substitute preacher. The person who was supposed to preach did not show up that day. And so it's kind of like, uh, or just say something. Uh, and so he stands up and he preaches, Look unto me and be saved, all the ends of the earth. For I am God and there is no one else. Look unto me and be saved, all the ends of the earth. For I am God and there is no one else. Look unto me and be saved all the ends of the earth. For I am God and there is no one else. Charles Spurgeon interprets the fact that he kept on repeating that. He's like, he probably didn't have anything else to say. All he had to say was just, look unto me all and be saved all the ends of the earth. For I am God and there is no one else. And then this is what he says about what happened. He had not much to say, thank God, for that compelled him to keep on repeating the text. And there was nothing indeed needed by me at any rate except his text. Then stopping, he pointed to where I was sitting under the gallery and he said, that young man there looks miserable. And he shouted, as I think only a primitive Methodist can shout, 
Look, look, young man. Look now. He says, then I had his vision. Not a vision to my eyes, but to my heart. I saw what a savior Christ was. Now I can never tell you how it was, but I no sooner saw whom I was to believe than I also understood what it was to believe. And I did believe in one moment. And as the snow fell on my road home from the little house of prayer, I thought every snowflake talked with me and told of the pardon I had found. For I was white as the driven snow through the grace of God. I can imagine when that man went home that day, he's like, why did they have to pick me? <laughs> like, of all the people, why did they have to pick me to preach? He probably thought it was a failure. He doesn't know what happened. But God used that message to save a young man who would reach thousands of people for the kingdom. Doesn't matter if you're a banker. Doesn't matter if you're a designer, you're a lawyer, economist. Doesn't matter if you're a housewife. Don't take it for granted that God uses ordinary events in our lives in order to accomplish something greater for his glory. We just have to do the ordinary things that scripture says we must do. Get in the word, live holy, love our neighbor, be intentional about forming relationships to share the gospel, enjoy the good things that God has provided, live in community, be in prayer for the lost and loved ones and family, and then watch how God uses those ordinary, mundane events to advance his mission on earth. God uses events we would not think can be used to advance his kingdom. And sometimes those events are negative. Sometimes those events are uncomfortable. Sometimes those events are against our culture. If the Apostle Paul was arrested in our time, I think social media would go ablaze with negative comments. Yeah, you know, it saves him right. Religion is toxic. They should lock him up for trying to convert people to Jesus. Why can they just accept that all roads lead to God? I asked some brothers out, you know, where, where we are. I asked them about their view of the township. And I asked them what they thought of the township and the gospel. Um, you know, like Jesus would ask, says, who do men say that I am? He will ask to find out what do people think. So I was interested because I grew up there. It, it's, you know, I, I, I assume that I, you know, not, not, not everybody thinks the way that I think. And so their answers was interesting. Um, brother was honest, and he said, he and many others don't understand how a gospel ministry can be sustainable in a township context, considering the huge challenges that the township faces. That was a very real answer from an honest place. I could see where he's coming from. But again, it's falling into that mentality that nothing good can come out of negative circumstances. It's using our worldly standard to judge the work of God. In our minds, God can work in Centurion. No problem. He can work in Midrand. He can work in Watercloth. But the township? I know. Hey, I'm Let's go and pray. Let's, let's go and give some food there. But hey, we don't believe that God can do it. We forget that God uses ordinary and yes, negative and broken circumstances in order to advance the gospel. Same here with Rooted. Like we don't have a problem believing that God can advance the gospel with people of the same color, the same culture, the same background. We're like, yeah, no, let them be in their same culture, same color, 
and we can see how the gospel can advance there. That makes sense. But what about people from different backgrounds being together on Sundays? We're like, okay, I can see that. We are Rainbow Nation, Mandela. Yeah, let's, let's, let's be together on Sundays. That makes sense. But what about people of different colors and cultures doing life together, sharing together and confessing their sins to one another, being in each other's lives? And that's where we pull back. You're like, okay, okay, I, I think you are getting into our space now. I think we should keep it safe. I think we should keep it with those that are the same as us, that have the same political views as us. What about black and white people in Pretoria, which was the hub of apartheid, in the same church under the spiritual authority of a black man? You say that and it's like, nah, nah, that's not, that's not going to, that's not going to work. But God will keep on surprising us by advancing his gospel, even in circumstances where it's humanly impossible for the gospel to advance. I love Peter and Cornelius' example. I love that example in the book of Acts. Peter is an apostle. He's thinking that the gospel is for the Jews. And the Lord gives him a vision as the Lord is getting ready to, to make his gospel to be worldwide. He's giving him a vision to go to the house of a man by the name of Cornelius, a Gentile, which is unthinkable for a Jew. But Peter is like, okay, this is God, I need to do this. And so he gets there to the house of this Gentile and he starts preaching the gospel. And whilst he's preaching the gospel, God is overriding him and he starts saving Gentiles. And people start speaking in tongues and people start getting saved. And the gospel advances through the Gentiles. God is accomplishing his mission in the world and is not waiting for anyone's consent. He's doing what he wants to do. Secondly, always look for what God is doing in seemingly negative circumstances. Always look for what God is doing in seemingly negative circumstances. There's a thousand things that God could be doing that you're not aware of in what may be a negative circumstance. There's a thousand things that God could be doing. And just a matter of forming a, it's just a matter of forming a habit of looking for what God may be doing. Paul could have focused on his circumstances in prison and how negative it is. The letter to the Philippians could have been a letter of complaining to them of how bad his conditions are in Rome. But instead of it, it is known as the epistle of joy. It is a handbook of how to have joy in difficult circumstances. Chapter 3, verse 1, finally, brethren, rejoice in the Lord. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice, 4, verse 4. But I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at last you have revived your concern for me. This is when they gave the gift. Indeed, you were concerned, but you lacked opportunity. Not that I speak from want, for I have learned to be content in whatever circumstance I am. I know how to get along with humble means. I also know how to live in prosperity. In every circumstance, I have learned the secret of being filled and going hungry. Both of having abundance and suffering need, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Philippians 4 verse 10 to 14. Some of you are in circumstances where you potentially could make a huge impact for the gospel. You can make a huge impact for the gospel. But you are so focused and have magnified 
that negative circumstance to the point where you don't see any other thing that God is doing around. You just focus on that event. How can they just overlook me when I'm qualified? Everyone is going away. We can't afford to be going on holiday again this year. We are staying home. We are going to be visiting people in Pumalama. People are going away to Europe. Like, what's... My husband is the most selfish and insensitive person. He doesn't appreciate me. You could, you could get lost in that, and that could be your, your worldview. That could, that, could, that could take up all your time every day. How about changing the question to, Lord, what are you doing in these circumstances? What are you doing in these circumstances? You'll be surprised at how the Lord can use your circumstance to advance his mission on earth. Thirdly, God is in control of whatever circumstances that happen to you. God is in control of whatever circumstances happen to you. Like we, we, we have a big God theology. We believe our God is big. Our God is not passive. He's not a God who wishes who could get involved, but he's not powerful enough to get involved. Because Satan keeps interrupting him and taking up the reins. That's, that's not the God we serve. We have a big God theology. He's not competing with Satan for the driver's seat of your life. Our God is big enough to handle whatever circumstances happen in our lives. It is impossible for God not to be winning all the time. It's impossible. Fourthly, God can use you to advance his mission here on earth. Let that, let that sink in. God can use you to advance his mission here on earth. This is the wonder of the gospel. How does God save any of us? Right? How does he save any of us? Let alone, how does he use any of us as his ambassadors for the gospel? Maybe some of you think that the only people God can use to advance the gospel are church planters. Or people like me. There's no ways. God can use anybody to advance his gospel in different capacities and different ways. Maybe you say, but you don't know what I've done. I'm happy to support others, but God can never use a person like me. That's not true. Here the Apostle Paul, the same guy, in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 12 to 15, I thank Christ Jesus our Lord who has strengthened me because he considered me faithful, putting me into service even though I was formerly a blasphemer and a persecutor and a violent aggressor. Yet I was shown mercy because I acted ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of the Lord was more abundant with the faith and love which are found in Christ Jesus. It is a trustworthy statement, deserving full acceptance, that Christ came into the world to save sinners. And hear this, among whom I am the foremost among whom, present tense, I am the foremost. This is after 25 years of being saved. God has already taken account of your past. He's already taken account of your culture. He's already taken account of your weaknesses, your failures, your flaws. And he still saved you and gave you a role in the mission that he's accomplishing. I think at times we don't realize the amount of potential we have around us in ordinary day-to-day -day activities to make an impact for the gospel. Dare to try amazing things for the kingdom of God. Use whatever little influence, resources, knowledge that you have in order to make kingdom impact in your sphere. 
and, and we'll transition now to, to kind of like our story as, as I just give a, a bit of a, a feedback. And so, as some of you may know, that we, we moved into to, to my melody um, in 2016. Uh, moving, we were staying in Kazina, and um, I don't know how far back I should go. Um, so before that, I was pastoring a church in the inner city for about four and a half years, and the Lord kind of gave me a love for, for the township, realizing that most of the people that are coming to the inner city are coming from the township. And the inner city being a transient kind of a, a context where people are constantly going and not staying, um, I thought it would be a good idea to be in a township where it's more um, firm, where it's more established, so that we can have a long-term impact. And so, yeah, 2016, we, we moved uh, to to Mamelodi, we rented a house in El Mapius. And yeah, for the first few months, it's, 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 it, was, it, was, it was very difficult. I, I mean, I grew up in the township, so I, I'm aware of the many issues that you have. But when you come back, and you're coming back sort of like as a, as a church planter, as a Christian, you look at it with different eyes, and you start to see a lot of, a lot of things that kind of like... Um, um, bother you. Um, so we started meeting together with just a few people in Mamelodi. Some of them are here. Just us meeting together on Sundays, just uh, um, encouraging each other in the Lord. And as few months progressed, we started a Bible study in our home and we started inviting our neighbors. Um, we got really, really uh, a good, a good um, response and we really were encouraged to see how the Lord was working in, in, some, of our, in some of our neighbors. And as, uh, um, in fact, a month ago, uh, we started another Bible study in, in Mamelodi um, at, uh, at, at, at Raymond's house, the, the man who's going to be baptized this morning. And the response has just been amazing. Uh, it's just, I don't think we have, uh, let me put it uh, differently, in, in terms of, the way we respond to brokenness as people generally, we normally run away from brokenness. We run away from um, situations that make us uncomfortable, that inconvenience us. But I think the Lord has been working with us to really come to a place where, where we actually love the township, where we love it and, and, have, a, and have a new vision to see what God can do um, with, with, with little us and sinful, broken us being there, trying to make a difference. So the Lord is amazing how he's working through the Bible studies, just opening up the Bible, opening up the word of God. People are just amazed at, at like, why have we not been hearing this? Why have we not somebody been telling us about the gospel? It's, and it's nothing, it's nothing, I promise you, it's nothing amazing. It's just opening up the Bible and saying, this is, the, this is the Bible, this is what it says, this is how it applies to our lives. And to see how that has been neglected for so many, so many years and how people are longing for truth longing just to hear the truth of the gospel. It has just humbled us. The brokenness that is there, um, um, it's, it's, people are broken. And unfortunately at times the church has been at the receiving end of, of people's brokenness. But it's, it's for us, it's really exciting to see what God is doing just through, through us being there. Um, we're about to move again to, from where we are, we're now moving closer to where the people are at in Mahube. Um, in Mamelodi um, to multiply and start more Bible studies um, so that we can, we can share the gospel.
So thank you, for, thank you, Richard, for keeping us in your thoughts. Thank you. Um, thank you so much for, for, for praying for us and, and just for working a journey with us. Um, please keep on praying for us as we spend more time with people, sharing the gospel, that God would save people, that God would save some. Um, some I think someone was asking me what ways that you can come and assist and stuff, and I think there's a lot of ways. And, and as I spoke this at X29 a bit, and especially with the black middle class, we don't realize the amount of good we can do by coming alongside township churches. 70% um, of people that are in the urban areas are in the townships. And many of us, when we make it in life, we, we move out and we start speaking bad about the places that we grew up in. Um, but I want to challenge you to, to think differently about that. Many times when a church planter is starting a church, for the first five years, there's no leaders. It's hard to get men to come in the church. So many of you could come in there and possibly assist. Um, transport, sometime preaching, helping with leadership issues. There's just so many ways that we can come alongside. So I'm just pleading with you, come, come alongside um, the guys that are planting um, in the township, not just me, but there's a lot of guys um, in Gauteng and other places that are planting there as well. So to close, a few verses later, Paul says, for to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. To live is Christ, and to die is gain. That is the philosophy that drove him, that is the philosophy that drove the Apostle Paul. The world is going crazy around us. People are crying out for justice. People are lonely, needing community. People are desperate to be part of something great. Let us not get caught in the things of this world. Let the conviction to live as Christ, to die as gain, be in our DNA. May it not just be something that we know in our heads but may it be something that we know in our hearts. Let's be intentional about communicating the gospel to the people in our sphere of influence. In a little way, we will see the gospel advancing and the mission of making disciples being fulfilled. Amen. Let's pray. And so, Lord, we are so humbled to, to see what you're doing. It, it is what you are doing. You're real, you, you're real, you're God, and you're working. You're working in tangible ways. Um, at times we forget that, and we think that our world is, is what exists, but you are doing something in, in this world, and we're excited, we're excited, we're privileged to be part of it. And I pray that each and every person here today um, will see some, the same way Spurgeon saw some, some vision in their heart of how they can be part of this great mission, this great story that you are telling to the world. I pray that you will raise up young men and women who are passionate about the gospel, who are willing to sacrifice, who are not just about their own life, but who are about losing their life for the sake of, of the gospel. May you make us a people that are given to you, are given to the gospel, are given like Paul, even in difficult circumstances, that we can have a perspective of the gospel. What, is, what are you doing around the world? 
enlarge our vision, enlarge our hearts, that we may see bigger things than just our own world, that we may see what you're doing around us. Thank you for what you're doing in Rooted. Thank you for the faithfulness of owner of going out and risking and, and starting this church and how you're using him. I pray that, Lord, you will use Rooted to be able to plant more churches, to be able to come alongside guys like us, many more guys, to be able to plant transcultural churches that reflect your beauty. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.